Hi and welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. I'm Sana Oudmark and I'm the head of marketing at Cure Media. In this week's episode, I talk to Jonas Kuliander, who is associate professor at the Center for Retailing at Stockholm School of Economics. We'll talk about influencer marketing from a scientific perspective, and we'll go back to the roots of consumption and influence. What factors drive us to make purchase decisions, and how do we choose which messages we listen to? Jonas will also walk us through the evolution of influence marketing and explain how brands can use this marketing channel to cut through the noise. Hi Jonas, and welcome to the podcast. A pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your research? Yeah, uh, asking a researcher about his research that might take a little while, but I'll try to keep <laughs> it uh, try to keep it snappy. Um, I'm, my name is Jonas Kuliander. I'm a, I'm an associate professor at the Stockholm School of Economics, where I'm at currently at the uh, Center for Retailing, uh, and I, my research is mainly about uh, social media communications and how consumers are affected by social media communications. Uh, started off by talking mostly about sort of commercial uh, so social media communication, social media ads, social media advertising, but I've broadened my scope since, and now I'm uh, sort of interested in, in lots of things, sort of disinformation, how that in social media and so on, how that affects people. But my main interest is still with, with sort of commercial uh, communications, how, how consumers are affected by it. Interesting. And how come that you decided to research on these topics? Um, I was, I was, I was working when, before I, I, when I quit school, I was started working for a while and, uh, for an internet company, but way back when it was 2005, uh, we worked with with uh, sort of uh, websites, created websites, and worked with uh, with Google Ads and things like that. And then it struck me sort of how how uh, how uh, how big and how how much effect this digital digital influence has on, on people. And that's when it really started to grow. And then my my advisor, my at the time, my supervisor, Mikkel Daliani, helped me sort of narrow my scope down to to uh, social media, which he said would be the next next big field in in communications research. And and as usual, he was right. So <laughs> I I went for that field. Yeah, he was certainly right that social media was coming big. It was not a what do you say in Swedish? A, uh, a fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't a it wasn't a fluke. Exactly. Fluke. Exactly. I'm not sure even that's the right word in English, but I'm sure our our listeners will forgive us for the swinglish. I think they know what we mean. Yeah. So if we take a couple of steps back, and this is a really broad question, but it's more to give some sort of a background to the episode. So, what factors would you say drive us consumers to make purchase decisions? Well, that is, of course, a huge subject. I mean, there's, there's, and I don't think anyone so far has come up with sort of a, a, a full model or full convincing model of what actually makes us, us consume. But at its most basic levels, we we consume and we we buy things because we have we have different needs for for things, and there are. You know, standard consumer model or purchase decision model is that we go through a need recognition and then we search for options to fulfill that need and then we make decisions and so on and so forth. But then this whole 
idea of needs and where they come from is, of course, very, very broad as well. There are these hierarchy of needs, you know, different needs that are different importance of different importance and certain needs that need to be fulfilled before other needs can be can be addressed and so on. But one of the interesting factors when, when you talk about sort of where where this come from, I think, is this whole and one that's been sort of under researched, I think, almost is this whole divide between sort of the cognitive ways of thinking sort of your cognitive reasoning and the, and, and the cognitive needs that, that arise and sort of the emotional background to certain needs and, and the emotions yeah. are, are need to satisfy our, our emotions, which we tend to think as researchers that, that we are very, very logical and very cognitive when we, when we, when we think about things, but, but very often we are driven by our emotions, our need to satisfy emotional needs for, for inclusion and status and all these things that that uh, yeah. that drive us, and that I think is is one of the strongest drivers behind these this this consumption. If we just consume to to uh, to survive and to to get food and basic necessities and so on, we wouldn't buy as much as we do. So I think this emotional aspect of things is is certainly very strong, and that's where most yeah. or many of our decisions come from. This this need to satisfy basic emotional but basic emotional needs definitely and especially here in the western world where we actually have everything we need we have food we have a shelter we have wi-fi to survive (laughs) yeah and then then you know according to these basic psychological models then we get into something about the need for self-fulfillment and things like that and that's where our these emotions typically come in uh, at a stronger so to speak yeah and I think this takes us to my other questions. How would you say that we are influenced to make consumption choices, both on a conscious but also on a more unconscious level? You talked about emotions, for example. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are, again, there are a thousand different ways that we are influenced by by uh, by various factors. And there is, if I may... may um, recommend a book here on the podcast i think there is there's a very good one called by robert cialdini it's a few years old but still very very um a classic yeah very uh, very still very relevant talking about you know various ways of influence uh there doesn't cover the the all the influence tactics that are out there but certainly certainly still very relevant and he talks about sort of one of some of the six of the strongest um, emotional or strongest influence tactics that people use where you talk about uh, reciprocity for, for example where you if someone gives us something even though it's small we go to great lengths to to reciprocate and you know give something back and that's where these classic so sort of tasting tactics in 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 stores for example can come in if someone gives us a sample of something, then we are very keen to reciprocate and, and buy that product afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is one of the classic examples he brings up in that regarding that principle is is uh, in the in in the mid eighties there was a big hunger in in uh, I think it was yeah it was Ethiopia, and in the midst of that big hunger disaster that they had, they still found. Uh, you know, lots of money to donate to Mexico at that time uh, because Mexico had a, a big earthquake in the mid '80s, and people were sort of wondering why is this country stricken by famine? Sort of donate money; they should, they need the money. Yeah. But it turns out that the the whole thing was because you know, 50 years earlier, when when 
Ethiopia was at war, then Mexico had supported them, and that fifty years later, that sort of still stuck with the with the Ethiopian government. So they, even though they were in the midst of a famine, they donated money to mm. Mexico, um, which goes to show how strong that sort of um, that sort of uh, mechanism is. I think there's a subway station in Mexico City now named Ethiopia because of that oh, that yeah. incident. It became famous. And there are lots of other these principles that are common play. But you know, for today's topics, I think what some of Cialdini mentions is uh, a couple of things that are relevant, um, seeing how we're uh, sort of my research area and what we're here to talk about is is that you're very you're very I mean we're very social beings. So we're very um um, this the idea of, of us doing something for people we like sort of liking is one of the strongest um, strongest principles of, of influence yeah. saying that we're very, very if we like someone as human beings then we go to great lengths to to sort of please that person and, and try to be try to be um, try to well, when it comes to consumption then of course that we we tend to we're prone to buy from people that we like mm. and also one of the other strongest um influence tactics that that um, that we know of is this whole idea of social proof that we we do as other people do because we take that as a signal of what's what's acceptable in the group and acceptable behavior particularly when we are when we are sort of uncertain, unsure of how to behave, then we take the behaviors of others as, as a cue for how we are supposed to behave ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and that's why we see these, these sort of group thinking mechanisms that we, or group thinking episodes that we read a lot about these days. But yeah. there are, of course, a thousand other principles, but I think that if anyone's interested in influence and how people are influenced to buy things, then that, book would be a great place to start because then you learn a lot about the human psyche definitely i i read it many years ago but as you yeah. say you can go back to it because it's i think it was still relevant in, yeah i think it was written in the 80s originally it's been updated since and i yeah. think that you're now on the 10th edition or whatever but but it's exactly. uh, still very relevant it's like a good wine it gets better exactly. by the years <laughs> speaking of how many messages the Western consumer is exposed to. I know you said in another setting, like we are com- exposed to th- around 3,000 commercial messages every day. Uh, and this is, yeah. of course, really hard for companies to break through this advertising clutter and to make an impact. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, uh, if you think about it, it's only, it's morning when we record this, but uh, given that mathematics you and i will 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 have still still been exposed to like a few hundred at this point even though it's mm. it's only it's only morning so i'm you know how many of those do we remember not not that so many. many no mm. and luckily that goes to, I guess. yeah luckily and, we, and it's designed that way our, our mind isn't isn't um, made or designed to to cope to handle all every impression that we get then we wouldn't be able to function. So it's an expert in sort of filtering out unnecessary information. And, yeah. you know, sadly for brands, brand logos and brand information and, and advertising and things like that, that's for most people belong into that unnecessary uh, category. So we, we tend to yeah. filter a lot of it out. Definitely. Our mind is full with other things. Yeah. And before, if we look back a couple of years ago, it was 
all about location, location, location. But yeah. in today's marketing landscape, more and more brands are entering the digital scene and social media. Yeah. And since everyone is at the same space, how would you say, how can brands cut through this noise, all these thousands of messages and actually create an impact on consumers? Well, I mean, what I've um, what I've been researching and talking about for for a number of years, and it's is one of, I mean, it's relating to to social proof and and the influence of others, which I which I mentioned earlier, is this the 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 strength and the and the importance of other people that are that are sort of in your in your in your personal sphere and their recommendations and their impact on your consumption behavior. And as we as we are subjected to more and more you know, external uh, images of brands and communications, we sort of we shut a lot of it out, as we said, and then we rely. We have always relied a lot on on um, on the advice of others. I think even back in the forties and fifties, when this re- communications research started, I think they found that you know seventy eighty percent of all of all purchases are somehow influenced by people around you, their recommendations, their advice, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and that's still still a factor, I would say, uh, or it's still it's still the case that we are uh, we are influenced by others to a large extent when we when we buy things. The difference now is, of course, that um, our our sphere of influence, our, our the people that we take advice from, has grown from our friends, immediate family, to sort of a, a digital. Uh, the digital realm as well. So we're now taking advice. People close to us can be doesn't have to be in your in your house or in, at your workplace. They can be hundreds of miles away and communicate with you digitally. And that's we've seen. I mean, the growth of of, of word of mouth marketing or influencer marketing has been a testament to that. I mean, it's a very effective way of cutting through this clutter is to to go through through people you know and people you are influenced by, uh, both online and but also uh, offline. Still important, yeah. But online has certainly grown. Definitely, yeah. We used to say that that this is both the oldest and the newest form of marketing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you think about it, you know, when we started first started to to settle among was it the Euphrates River, I mean, you still wanted advice on what 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 <laughs> bread to buy and whatnot, and you talked to people yeah, and you got advice from too. it. So it's the oldest form of marketing there is. But you know, given which Cialdini has shown and which other people have shown, it's still one of the, or I'd say, the most effective way of, of of getting through is to going through someone you you like and you trust when you get this this advice. I agree, and we touched upon it a bit earlier. But if you would take out three things, why it's so effective compared to other channels? What would you say are the three main things? I mean, it's. It's, um, I mean, three things. It's difficult to boil it down to three things again. You, you know, we as researchers tend to, when you ask us a question, <laughs> we tend to just talk on. But um, if I talk a little bit about it, it's it's basically. I mean, since we're exposed to to so many so many messages, then we need some sort of a way to cut through all the noise and and make effect and sort of effective to save also cognitive energy because you can't process all these messages. And a shortcut to that is to to for the take the advice of other people and if you talk to these other people then you you know that our friends our acquaintances they they have our best interest at heart so that's what we assume so their um their advice sort of cut through this filter you have this 
this filter of suspicion, or I would say against commercial messages, yeah. uh, because you know that the intent behind it is, is selling us stuff. Exactly. But when, when it comes from friends and acquaintances, we don't have that. We, that we assume that it's not to, to sell product. We assume that people will have no personal gain in recommending things to us, most of the time at least. And as a result, we don't uh, we don't have the same level of suspicion against those people. So it cuts through this this filter. And even today, I mean, most of us know that influencer collaborations that they get paid that it's some sort of advertising. Why would you say that it's still effective? Why why do we still trust this and relate to it? Well, first of all, I would say that. Uh, and it's important to understand that it's not as effective. Um, these uh, and there's been there's been quite a few uh, research studies on that on sort of how sponsored messages compared to to organic messages for for effectiveness in terms of you know liking of brands and things like that. And it, it typically in research we have something or in psychology they refer to something called persuasion knowledge. Which is basically the the knowledge of, of persuasion that's being activated uh, once we're exposed to commercial messages. Then we sort of we know that that we someone is trying to convince us to buy something, and that are and certain tactics and, and knowledges are being activated for how to resist and how to, to counter those kind of messages. Right. But um, still, it's it's um, you know still some of it it cuts through, and uh, I think there are there are some interesting. Um, interesting explanations for it. I mean, there are you can there are psychological research that says basically that uh, we, uh, for a lot of us, especially for people that we like and trust, uh, there are we tend to over underestimate you know situational factors and 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 overestimate personal disposition. Meaning that even though we know something is sponsored, we tend to think that uh, people still. People still like it a little bit. We know they get paid, but you know mm. they wouldn't do this unless they actually liked it a little bit anyway. Right. Which goes to show that I mean for for that importance of, of matching. If we talk about you know distinct tactics here, the importance of actually matching you know, influencers and spokesperson with with the brand to make it a, a decent match. If it's too weird the connection, then then it's difficult to to sort of get that that effect of, of that mechanism. But but people tend to to underestimate to an extent the fact that people are getting paid and, and overestimate you know personal liking, personal dispositions for this. Mm-hmm. But um, there's still this element of of uh, of you know that you're getting paid but you still typically get an effect of these messages. Yeah, but I think it's very interesting that you highlight this because a couple of years ago it was, I think, much easier to succeed with this channel because now we're more skeptical and we have seen seen it a couple of years and yeah. we are critical consumers. In order to succeed, you need to have a much more sophisticated approach and uh, more I mean- profound strategy. Yeah, exactly, and you need to be be very clear and be aware of all these these you know factors that influence because now people tend to assume, even I mean we've seen in in the research people tend to assume that even organic posts that are not you know marked sponsorship, somewhere people assume that a lot of that is also sponsored and not and not marked properly as as sponsored content. So there's a growing amount of suspicion that you know everything is being sponsored and everything is being being. Um, is sort of um, commercial in nature yes. um, to an extent that we see, I'm not sure 
uh, don't know how much you see that, but but I've seen and we've done some research on people as influencers actually writing that you know this is not sponsored content. They yeah. have to add those kind of disclaimers to to some of the content as well. It's like, please note this is not sponsored. This is my own personal I, I opinion. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, so there's this this element, and that's that's an is an issue for for a lot of people in in that business. But there's so much psychology at play here and so much, as you say, I mean, a few years ago it was easier because people weren't aware of these, how much money was in this kind of marketing. But now as, as you know, media is picking up on it and there's been these. Yeah, there's more been actors these, out there. Yeah, exactly. So then now it's, uh, it's you need to be to be more professional and be more aware of how to, to match match influencer and brand and how to, to so that this credibility is there, which is is you know, key for out to, for creating effective content. 